This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today, I'm going to cover a book called AI Superpowers with the tagline China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order by Kai-Fu Lee. This book was not a part of my original 2019 reading list, which I set a year in advance. I added this one in for work purposes, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later in the episode. This one will consist of three segments. The first will be an introduction to the book, why I read it, and my initial reaction. The second segment will be three themes that show up throughout the book. And the final segment will be the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. So going into segment one here, the author Kai-Fu Lee, he has to have been one of the best candidates to have written a book like this. First off, he was the founding president of Google China. He has held executive positions at both Microsoft and Apple. And he has experience in the Chinese tech sector as well as in Silicon Valley. So he has a really unique perspective. He was born in 1961 in Taiwan, and he is a venture capitalist, a technology executive, a writer, and an AI expert. As for who suggested this book, that would be Philip Strutz. And I heard about this book, I heard him talk about this book on the Cal Fussman podcast. And I'll link to that in the show notes, but uh, I love Cal Fussman. I love his, uh, his podcast, and he is a master interviewer. So if you want a good podcast, I, I suggest his. And so I was listening to this particular episode while I was running, and he mentioned this book in a, in a segment they were discussing AI. And I, so I paused the podcast, and when I got home, I, I rewound the podcast, jotted the book down, and, and ordered it right away. And why would I do that? I've, I've got this 2019 reading list of 52 books, and I've, I really need to focus on that if I'm going to get it through 52 books in the year. So for me to add a book into the mix, it's, uh, it, there's got to be a good reason for it. And, and the reason for this one was, I'm, after reading uh, Rob, Robot Proof last year, which I just did a podcast about that a few episodes ago, that one got me thinking about AI in the future and what what it's going to mean for companies and how they're going to educate their workforce. And so I wanted to start reading different books about AI and to to really get an understanding of what types of jobs are in jeopardy and what workforces can do to prepare for that. So I I do website development for for companies and and I'm always seeking out ways uh, different and new ways to to help my clients and and I thought this could be a good way of helping people kind of look to see what technology is going to be doing in the future. So I I read this book between March 29th and April 6th of 2019. So as of this recording, that's just a a few days ago when I, when I finished it, it's a 232 page book and it took me eight hours and three minutes to, to read the whole thing. That's roughly two minutes per page. And a lot of that time was actually taking notes. I, uh, the entire back of this book is full of notes and I, I write pretty small and it is, it's full. So a, a lot I pulled out of this one. As, as for my initial reaction, this was the perfect book for me at the perfect time. 
I wanted to learn about AI and how it would impact the labor force. And I can't imagine there being a better book to have addressed these topics and, and some of the questions I had going into it. When I add a book like this for work purposes, it's it, it kind of just becomes a book that I get to whenever I can. So I'll, I'll just kind of re- uh, read bits and pieces of it at a time. But this one took over. I mean, I, I stopped reading the other book I, I was reading at the time, and I dove into this head first. Uh, it was one of those books that I, I couldn't put down, and my initial reaction was basically like Ariana Huffington, who... She has uh, praise on the back of the book, and here's what she said about the book. It's one of those books you read and think, why are people reading any other book right now when this is so clearly the one they need to be reading? That's pretty much exactly what I was thinking as as I was reading this book. As for the structure of the book, it's broken up into nine chapters. It covers our current moment and what it looks like going forward based on the technological change that we are going through, and then also cultural proclivities for the U.S. and China. There's also a major twist in this book, and I'll get to that later on, but uh, something I was not expecting at all, which which really enhanced the book and, and gave it a, a unique perspective. As for who should read this book, I don't ever really say this, but everyone needs to read this book. Like, everyone needs to read this book. We're all going to be impacted by AI going forward, and we need to understand what's coming. And this book is a really good overview of what's coming. So everyone needs to read this book. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Thanks for checking it out. I started the Books of Titans project because I needed help picking out the best books. I found out what some of the world's top performers were reading, and then I started reading those books to the tune of 52 per year, or roughly one a week. I set that reading list a year in advance, and then I share it online. That creates accountability and a connection with others who are reading the same books. I want you to experience the benefits of having a yearly reading list. To that end, the Books of Titans website is stock full of resources to help you find the best books. I've also opened up the website to where you can begin sharing your reading list. This will allow you to share it with others, write reviews, and rate each book. I have three different plans, with the first one starting at just $9 per month. Your books will be placed in a visually stunning format that you can share on social platforms. Just go to booksoftitans.com forward slash mybooks for more details. I also like to highlight one tool per week, and this week I'm going to highlight the list on the Books of Titans website that is the complete list of every single book ever suggested on the Tim Ferriss Show podcast. I know, I know you're thinking there's no way that that exists, but it does, and it's on the Books of Titans website. Just go to booksoftitans.com forward slash list to see 2,000 plus books that have been suggested, most gifted, and discussed by some of the world's top performers on the Tim Ferriss Show podcast. It's the only comprehensive list that I'm aware of, and it's also searchable. I have also updated it with the most recent episode with Eric Schmidt. Now let's get back to the book. As I mentioned, one of my main interests in this book was from the standpoint of employment and lifelong learning in the age of AI. In this segment, segment, I'll be highlighting three different ideas that fall along these lines. The first, I'm going to start off by asking a question. When you think of artificial intelligence, do you consider us being in the age of discovery or implementation? So are we, are we discovering things about AI, or are we in the process of implementing what has already been discovered? 
The author of this book says that we are in the age of implementation. But if you look at media stories, a lot of them are presented as if we're still in the age of discovery. So it's it's kind of like a shock that Watson has done this, or a computer has beaten Kasparov in chess, or AlphaGo has defeated a Go champion in China, or that driverless cars are a lot more advanced than perhaps we thought they'd be at this point. The, the stories kind of present that to where we're in the age of discovery, but he says, Kaifu says that we're in the age of implementation. And what's happening at this point is that implementation is being done at an industry by industry level with deep learning. So deep learning is, is tackling unique problems in different industries and going deep into that. So it's taking data sets and looking at those data sets, coming up with solutions and doing things that no human would be able to to look at and then and then drive information from that. So what this age of implementation leads to is this next item, uh, number two here, of job replacements. And this this was one reason I I was interested in reading this book and wanted to to learn about what types of jobs might be might be on the cutting board in the near future. So here here's a quote that that was really interesting to me. He said, "Much of today's white collar workforce is paid to take in and process information and then make a decision or recommendation based on that information, which is precisely what AI algorithms do best." End quote. In fact, he in this book he says white collar jobs are probably going to go before what we consider blue collar jobs. Whereas factory work where where that was becoming more robotic, uh, blue collar workers were were losing their jobs in in, in that scenario or where cheaper labor would ha- would have that work overseas. It was blue collar workers that were losing those jobs. But with AI, the jobs that are going to be lost at first are going to be AI type of jobs. And as I was reading this book, part of what I was writing in the back of the book is whenever he would mention a, a job or a type of job or an industry that was going to be having problems in the future, I wrote it down. So I want to read this this list. And perhaps your your job is is part of this list. Here we go. Accountants, assembly line workers, warehouse operators, stock analysts, quality control inspectors, truckers, paralegals, radiologists, mortgage providers, insurance providers, manufacturing, retail, credit card companies, industries with structured data sets that can be mined, such as stocks and credit cards, mortgages, financial industry, banks, painting. He talked about painting being done by drones. So like the outside of a house, uh, you could program some drones and they they would paint the, the outside of a house. So those are just a few of the positions that that could be at risk in the near future. And what's interesting is he also goes into the numbers of of the percentages that might might the of, of jobs that might be lost. And I've heard numbers as high as 50% uh where 50% of jobs could be gone in the, in the next 10 years or so. Uh he he goes through a, a number of different predictions, some as low as like 9% I think uh all the way up to 48% uh 50 50%. And he says that doesn't mean that 50% of the jobs will be lost. 
it does mean though that 50% are replaceable. But what he said is that those jobs are replaceable right now. And it kind of goes back to, to point one there that we're in the age of implementation. So a lot of the tools of artificial intelligence already exist. They just haven't made their way down to every industry or every type of, of work, but it's coming. And, and, and I guess that, w- that was one of the big shockers in the book to me that this is here right now. We're, we're not in the age of discovery where we're discovering new things, but it's, we're in the age of implementation and it's being implemented in jobs that you are probably doing right now. One one example that he gave was in finance, and and he talked about a, a app in China. And I I want to read this two paragraph section, uh, so stick with me. It's it's a little long, but it's it's really interesting, and this kind of gives insight into one of the jobs that that I just mentioned in that long list. So here we go. Into this void, and the void he's talking about here is a credit void. So there are a, a number of apps in China that were for mobile payments, but uh, apparently at this point, there, there hadn't been many for, for credit or people applying for credit. And so going back into the quote here, into this void steps Smart Finance, an AI-powered app that relies exclusively on algorithms to make millions of small loans. Instead of asking borrowers to enter how much money they make, it simply requests access to some of the data on a potential borrower's phone. That data forms a kind of digital fingerprint, one with an astonishing ability to predict whether the borrower will pay back a loan of $300. Smart Finance's deep learning algorithms don't just look at the obvious metrics, like how much money is in your WeChat wallet. Instead, it derives predictive power from data points that would seem irrelevant to a human loan officer. For instance, it considers the speed at which you typed in your date of birth, how much battery power is left on your phone, in thousands of other parameters, end quote. That's amazing. So to, to give you a loan, to give you credit, they ask you not for, you know, where do you work? What's your job? How much money do you make? But they're asking for access to your phone so that they can check some things that you would not even consider uh, to be relevant for a loan. You're, the, the amount of battery power left on your phone. But what they've done is they've, they've looked at the type of people that have paid back the loan. And the type of people that pay back the loan have these qualities, and they have this percentage of battery power left on their phone. And they typed in their birthday at this speed. And things that no loan officer would ever be able to do, this, this app is able to do. So that's the kind of deep learning and, and deep integration that AI can do for different types of, of jobs. So one of those jobs I mentioned was, was a mortgage provider. So this particular smart finance app that uh, he described in the book was for, for small, small individual loans. But what happens when that expands to, to mortgage loans? And what about all the lenders out there? What about all the mortgage providers? Um, Their jobs are probably going to be, or, or parts of their jobs, if not most of their jobs, will be taken over by by these different apps. The third thing I want to highlight is what he calls the bipolar world order. And remember, the tagline for this book is China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. The bipolar world order is a world order in which there are two key players, and that is the U.S. and China. And the author is in a great position to write about this because... 
he has spent so much time in China's tech sector as well as Silicon Valley. And what's really fascinating is that he does not paint Silicon Valley in, in a great light, especially when compared to China's tech sector. And this is from a man who worked for, he was president of Google in China. I mean, he started Google in China and worked very closely with, with Google out of Silicon Valley and said that a lot of times, and he saw this with other U.S. companies working their way in China as well, what was dictated from the U.S., from Silicon Valley, often hindered their ability within within China. And the pace was slower and, and everything. And, and it was, so that was a really interesting part of the book and something, if, if you read the book, I think you'll really enjoy. He also paints different pictures of government involvement and what that means for AI going forward and also cultural history and and how that plays a role into how companies are developed, how entrepreneurship goes goes forward. And so another just really neat part of this book in 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 that discussion. I I just highlighted three really fascinating ideas from the book, but those were just a few of the many. I actually had a really hard time narrowing down just to three different things from this book because it's it's one of those books where where he just keeps putting forth ideas. It's not one of those business books where there's one key idea in the book and they t- talk about it at the beginning and then you know the the rest of the book is is going over different ways to talk about that one idea. This one is stock full of ideas and really good. Uh, and so those were just three of the things that that stuck out to me. I did have a few criticisms criticisms of the book. The first is that there's nothing about India. And and look, I know going into it, the book is red and yellow and it's AI superpowers and it says China and Silicon Valley and the New World Order. But he does identify two key advantages that that countries can have in their quest of AI and and developing AI. And that uh, two of those are big data size, so a big population and a a lot of users on on apps and that sort of thing, but then also an engineering culture. And those are two things that are are big in India. I mean, they they have a huge population and uh, a strong engineering culture, but there's no information at all. And, And I know he doesn't have experience in India, his experiences in the U.S. and China, but it still it seemed like kind of a gaping hole, and I, I guess I, I wish he would have talked a little bit more about that. One other criticism I saw, and and this was more uh, as I was posting on Instagram that I was reading this book. I, I had some people write that they said the writing of the book was choppy, and you could tell it was more of a technology person as opposed to a, a writer. And I didn't, I didn't really notice that, but I wasn't really reading this thinking it was going to be war and peace or anything. I, I was more reading it for the content and, and I was fascinated by the content. So that was one criticism that I heard, but I didn't necessarily agree with or, or notice it while I would. So now into segment three and the one thing, the one key takeaway, the one thing I always hope to remember from this book. I usually don't have to give spoiler alerts for a nonfiction book, but I do for this one. So if, if you're planning on reading this and, you know, I told you about that there's a twist in this book and you want to be surprised, then 
I suggest you turn off the podcast right now and then maybe revisit it after you have read the book. But uh, here, here it is. This book takes an unexpected twist. The way the book is structured is that he's taking you down this path of where AI is taking us. He's showing us how the U.S. and China are leading this effort. And you, you just get the sense that he's going to uncover the secret in, in how you can ensure lifelong in employability. And then he hits you with this unexpected twist. I was diagnosed with stage 4 lymphoma, lymphoma at age 53. What that did is it caused him to look back over his life, his very successful life, and describe what he calls the deep, soul-aching regret over the way I had lived my life. He realized that he was a manifestation of the machine-like mentality that had dominated his life for decades. In other words, he was living his life like an algorithm. And it was really fascinating to, to hear him talk about. I mean, it was like he, he was around all this technology all the time, and it kind of just seeped into his life that he, that's how he started acting. That's how he started behaving. And he said, I, he, he, he would talk about time with his family, and, and he, he said he, he didn't neglect his family, but he just spent time, he just spent the, the optimized amount of time so that they wouldn't leave him or think he was a bad father. And here's, here's one quote that he had about, about his way of, of living. He said, this algorithmic way of thinking wasn't just suboptimal at locating time. It was robbing me of my own humanity. My guess is that if you're listening to this, this podcast, this constant optimization is something that you are always thinking about as well. I think back to, I mean, this is really embarrassing, but when I, when I was dating my wife, she uh, we were in different cities for for a period, and she said she could always tell when I, it, it, time was coming up in my mind for the call. Like, are my allotted time for that that call to where then I needed to start doing other things was coming to an end. And she could tell just by the way maybe I was cutting off sentences or or uh, just kind of getting short that I I had that optimized time, and and I'm I'm guilty of that with with, uh, with time with, with my wife and with my family and irony of irony is as I was reading this particular se section of the book where he's, he's talking about, uh, you know, him, him looking back at his life, I'm reading this while my wife and daughters are on the couch snuggling and watching a movie together. And I'm, I'm sitting at the kitchen table reading this book. I mean, it was just very ironic and in a way, I'm trying to. I was trying to optimize my time by not watching a chick flick, but instead bettering myself by reading this book. But did I really better myself? You know, I, I could have been on the couch, and and we have an open floor plan, so you know they're just like five feet away from me. But I could have been there on the couch with them at, at least. And so that gets into my my one key takeaway, and it, it's not really the takeaway that I expected to have. I, I expected to maybe come away with. The, the things I need to do with my company so that I, I'm prepared for AI. But that unexpected twist was really eye-opening and really eye-opening, especially with how I view my time and, and I try to optimize my time and that, that can really cut into personal relations. So in, in this realization, perhaps the author 
uncovers what, what actually will save us in the future. As, as AI optimizes everything around us and makes redundant most of what we currently call jobs, what will create value in the future is our humanity. It's not our optimization of time or, or how much we can get done or how productive we are. So I, I was really hoping I was going to have a key takeaway that would, would help you guys with preparing yourself for your job and, and being sure that you have the right job going forward. But that's not, that's not the one I had. But I do think that this takeaway is perhaps more important. And it's to, to always remember the, the humanity and remember the, those closest to, around you and, and not to always be optimizing things. So to recap, this was the perfect book for me for learning about AI, lifelong learning, and ultimately life. I was serious at the beginning when I said you need to stop whatever you are currently reading and read this book. It's not war and peace. It's not you know some brilliant prose, but it is some extraordinary information and insight into what's ahead for, for you and me in this world of AI. And it helps provide the mindset to help you thrive. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Before I sign off, just a reminder that you can now share your own reading list on the Books of Titans website by going to booksoftitans.com forward slash mybooks. You can also follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter at Books of Titans. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast and find all of our past episodes through iTunes, the Android Marketplace, or your podcast manager of choice. If you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure to give it an effusive five-star rating on iTunes and share your favorite episodes on social media. We'll be back next week with another book. And until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.